solid door closing. Well done. Thank you. By now, I have had a few episodes worth of practice. Yes. Once again, I have arrived, and I have been on a magical journey. A magical journey? I have. I traveled across my living room, around a corner, up a flight of stairs, down a hallway, across a room, through a magical door, and into this very closet, where I would take part in another episode of... Two clowns in a closet. Lovely. Beautiful, beautiful start to a beautiful night. I'm so glad to be here with you and with all of my internet friends. Hello. Hello. And uh, we have we have some questions. We have more questions. Written yes. in pen on index cards, as promised. Yep. And talked about. So I don't think we need to spend extra time on that. Nope. I think we are we are good to go. We have questions, and clearly people have put some thought into this. Oh, these are thoughtful questions. Clearly people thought about them. Wow. Now I'm worried. Well, um, I'm running out of ways to stall. I know something I can stall about. Why? I don't understand why you're trying to stall, but it's, I am curious as to what you're thinking about. You see, I was going to let it go and say you were right, but then you got curious, and now I feel compelled to uh, satisfy your curiosity. My knees hurt. Oh, well, I didn't need to know that. Yeah, you did. We've been we've been of doing extra hurt. extra training in the last couple of months. I'm feeling strong, feeling a little bit fit. Thought, oh, this will make me able to run up those stairs and do all that other. But no, the knees hurt. Today, the knees hurt. Recovery days, I like that. We always record on recovery days. And so one of the things I think people don't realize is we're never this calm. But we're wrecked because we're sitting here under blankets going, so sore, so tired. It's true. It is. It's pretty much true. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to say that we've been we've been working very hard. You have been working very hard, and you have been making tremendous progress. I, I don't need praise. I just need to. You have say, though. You've been doing handstands, and I've been really proud of you. Thank you. I have, and you have you have been coaching me, and I I am feeling, uh, I'm feeling very impressed by how good a coach you've been. I wanted no, to. Thank I, you. I I set up this entire point here so I could give you a little praise, and you tried to turn it back on me, and I deflected it right back at you, and now you have praise all over you. Deal with it. Well, so long as you also deal with the fact that I there was you. fallout when this when the praise hit you, it spattered off, and I like a bystander. I I took a small overspray of praise. Yes, you did. I will accept that. Are we ready for the first question? I think now that we've sprayed praise all over the room, we might as well get on it. Things are feeling very comfortable, very well. Yes. Microphone. I'd just like to take a moment and say all of you are looking fantastic, doing whatever it is you're doing. It's true. It's true. You're looking so microphonish and attentive. Yes. Yes. And the way your little red LED that says you're on is lit, it makes me feel concerned because I this doesn't actually have a red LED. I just spit that out and, and I'm hoping it's actually on. I, I was about to say, uh, if, if the red LED is blinking, that would mean that this was actually muted, which would be concerning. But well, let's pretend it's muted so we are more comfortable, and I'm, then we'll just yeah we'll just roll with it. I'm not gonna be more comfortable if it's muted. 
You really like performing. I like talking to people. There's no reason to do this if nobody's there. Well, I like to think that people are listening. And I know people are listening because people people tell us. We get little messages about how people say things like it helps them sleep. And they put it on when life gets stressful and it makes them pass out because we just drone on a bit. Speaking of which... Well, uh, I'm going to apologize to that person. No, that's a compliment. No, no, no. It was a compliment. I'm going to apologize to that person for this first question. Oh. It's one of those sorts because of I would not like to include this question in my heading to bed um, uh, recordings, but it is a question we received. So content warning. We're going to ask Co- content warning. Uh, bodies are gross. You're holding the cards about to ask me a bodies are gross question. Okay, well I just made this lovely. People love hearing us and. I apologize for everything I'm undoubtedly about to say. All right. Okay. Here we go. Let's have Are it. you prepared? How could I not be at this point? Tell us about the time Russ got peed on during practice slash performance. It wasn't clear which. How did it happen? How did everyone deal with it? Come on. Okay. There are two things that come out of this, first and foremost. Apparently pee. And number two, <laughs> I'll leave out. And number three, I'd like to point out that all those times where I say something offhand and think that someone might not be listening to me while we're working out in circus in place, they're listening for opportunities like this to throw us under a bus. Clearly. Because now I have to talk about being... Being... Piddled upon. Yes. Okay. Well, you know, at the time I didn't finish the story. It was an offhanded comment. Because it's not, it's not that interesting a story, but I will tell it. I will preface this by saying that what your content warning nails it. Uh, bodies are gross. Here's the thing. Human bodies, and you have to use one to be in a physical body to do physical theater. It's kind of one of the very few things you need to bring with you to the theater when you're going to perform. It's true. They like it if you bring pants. Also true, but... I've heard of exceptions. I've heard of plenty of exceptions. And some of them were exceptional. But that being said, bodies are gross and things happen. And additionally, that unless that is the focus of your work, which, wow, that's a choice. Mm-hmm. It's not my choice, but uh, it's a choice. If that's not the focus of your work, then you need to focus on what's important. And... In our acrobatic partnership, I am I am the base, which is I am the big person that gets between you and the floor. That's that's kind of the job description. Yep. You choose to defy gravity, and I choose to make sure you're right when gravity disagrees. Yeah. That is kind of the job description. So you know, every time I step on the mats or step on a stage, the doing these sorts of things, the uh, the whole thing is like a promise. I'm gonna say. I promise to get between you and the floor. If you fall, I promise I will catch you, no matter what. And, and that, that sentence right there, that last little bit, no matter what, is where this, where this little silly story comes from. Um, I, you know, I was, you know, right now we're performing, we're, we're not performing, we're practicing here. Yes. Um, and so things are very, are very focused on what we're doing, just you and I are doing our thing. And normally when we're, when I'm teaching at the residency or 
when we're out at like an acro jam, which we've been to, or, or doing workshop stuff. If someone says, hey, I'd like to try that, you're like, yeah, let's do it. Because there's a chance not only for you to help someone learn, but there's always a chance for you to learn. And you're, you're kind of in this, you know, this opportunity. And so you, you, you go for it. And someone saw us doing a trick that we had been taught uh, that was originally called the fart flipper. And we thought at the time, early on, we thought that was gross. We said, we're not going to call it that. We're going to call it the flipper. Little did we know that essentially any trick that involves somebody bending over, being squeezed around the waist bodily and lifted into the air and thrown in the air onto someone's back, the fart flipper is actually a pretty good name because there's, there's a bit of both. Yeah, it's an extremely accurate name. A bit of both. So, yeah, I, you know, so we're, we're doing what we were doing flipper. And uh, it's a trick we do a lot. And uh, we like it because it's, it's really dumb the way we it do it. It is really dumb. You do keep asking me not to fart on your neck. And I <laughs> keep trying not to fart on your neck. It's true. Which is essentially where you land um, as the flyer. Unfortunately, there is absolutely nothing I can do about that. It's just a thing that's going to happen sometimes because I sque- you're compressing. I squeeze the middle and lift. I sort of bring it upon. I literally bring it upon myself. Yes, you I do. pick you up. I reverse you, and I put your butt on my own neck. And I think I think the request, "Hey, could I please not have my neck farted on?" <laughs> is a completely valid request. Thank you for considering my my desires, boundaries, and needs. That's important to me. Unfortunately, it is one that, if so long as we continue to do this trick. <laughs> I can't fulfill. You will be you will be violating my boundaries, my comfort zones, and not fulfilling my one desire of not being pooted on periodically. The good thing is you are at least aware of this and have taken that into consent, consideration when you consent to lift me up onto your back in this method. So we've exonerated your farting, your 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 constant flatulence. We've we've exonerated you for the moment. But returning to the story, which was some time ago, yes. before you, we had such a comfort zone with these things, um, somebody somebody came up to us and said that you know at the residency and said, "Can I try that?" And you know, we, you, what it basically happens anytime there's an acrobatics trick, there's there is this very there's a three step uncomfortable process. First one is you're looking at is this person capable of even trying this or is this hubris? And that's a very quick one. It's pretty much a yes or no. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the second one is, you know, the, 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 the willingness, you know, the comfort and willingness and, 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 and readiness to try. You know, that's pretty obvious. That one's pretty obvious. The third one is that it's uncomfortable because there's a bit of body reality to it is one of you is bigger and is probably going to be better at picking the other one up. And that person at the early stages, because it does change over time, is yep. the base. Yep. And so you basically walk up to someone who's bigger than you and say, hey, will you flip me up so I can fart on your neck? No, that's not what you say, but that is effectively <laughs> what you're asking for. And so to give consent to that to someone who is who is either you're not very close with working or uh, maybe isn't as well trained uh, in, in dealing with these things, you, you take a deep breath and you go... Yeah, okay. And and so I said, yeah, and I was trying to be supportive, and I wanted to try this because someone being an inch or two taller completely changes the way that feels. And I'm like, oh, this would be a good learning experience. We're on gym mats. Everyone's pretty fit. This will be a good opportunity. And this, one, this one's a good one because the exit strategies, if something goes wrong, if, if, the, if the flyer doesn't know what they're doing 
on this one? The most explosive gone wrong I've ever seen done, you and I did, where I flipped you hard enough that you ended up on the ground standing on your feet behind me, and it looked amazing. And it's safe. Yeah, the point the is I put is, you back down the thing if it goes is, wrong. Like, everything about it is, is pretty safe uh, if the base knows what they're doing, which you do. Thank you. The reason I know why I'm what I'm doing with this trick for the record is one time at an event, we did this trick, and you didn't even notice. It went a tiny bit wrong, and it scared me. And because of that, I got obsessive about it. And I got obsessive about basing it correctly, and I wanted it in every one of our workouts till it was clean because I wanted to be able to keep my promise. So this was something that I'm also now, I feel like, yeah, if I can lift you, I will do this to you because I've done this hundreds of times, thousands of times by now. Sure. Person says to me, let's do it. I say, yes, let's do it. I grab them. I pick them up in the air. And I hear, "Uh uh-oh. Now, here's the thing. If I hear, ah, fine. If I hear swear word, fine. If you hear it down, everyone comes to the ground. Everyone comes to the ground. Or no, you can hear that. But a little quiet, uh-oh. You really don't know what to do with that. So you sort of just finish the trick and you have a person sitting on your neck. And then you you, you feel, I'm going to say warmth. And I'm going to stop describing. All right. Okay. So I'm sitting there and I'm feeling warmth. And here's the mortifying reality of the trick. I'd like to discuss the exit of this trick. The traditional safe best exit for this trick is for me to lean forward slightly and for that person to slide down my back gracefully like a playground slide. Or in this case, a bit like a water slide. The person was not prepared for the level of pressure I put on their midsection and they peed a little. And here's, so the question is, how did I respond to it? And How and did everybody, how did everyone, everyone deal with it? There was yeah. a handful of people there. Well, well, the person got to the ground, said, excuse me, and ran out of the room. I walked over and, and let's be clear, if this was like a real biohazard, this is a very small amount of mistake. Um, if this had been a real biohazard situation, I am pretty easily grossed out and I probably would have responded much differently. But as it was, there weren't that many people around. It wasn't. It, it was like something had gone wrong, but it wasn't something to make a big deal out of mostly because the best I could do is make a person feel traumatized about it. And I had this, I had this sudden realization. I'm like, yeah, I'm not happy about this. And I'm, I'm sure the I'm the best you could do. I'm, well, I'm saying if I took action on it, ah, okay. if I took action, on the it, only positive, the only positive thing I could do is shut a person down. And so what That's I kind of okay. did was I kind of was like, you want to go again? When they came back, I'm like, go again. And they said, yes. And we did it again. And this time less water slide. Good. So, so that's a win. And you know, I had toweled off and cleaned up in between. Um, so it's not that great a story, except for the fact that it illustrates a couple of interesting things beyond the trick itself. For one thing, you have to be focused on many more important things. When I'm working, if something slips, falls, slides, goes wrong, an external environmental thing happens, you just have to be prepared to focus on the thing you're doing and assume that that's what's important because that's when things go wrong is when you panic. Yeah. You have to also realize that the person you're working with, you know, and, and I guess, I mean, I, was, I wasn't really in a coach capacity in that moment, but I was in a, I was in a sharing the wisdom moment. I'm like, 
things happen. And the less I made of it, the better. So I was trying very hard not to make it make a joke about it, a big deal about it. I do to this day, before any trick, look at whoever I'm. I throw you in the air all the time. It's become a running joke. I'm saying, do you need to pee? Oh yeah, and it's it's actually kind of funny. Um, on gig site, this is less of a problem because when you're running around, you know, the clown does not carry a water bottle, so <laughs> so you're out there running for for. A couple of hours before you take a break and you hydrate. So you you run kind of dehydrated for the day and then you rehydrate the next day sure. significantly. Um, but when we're training, we're like overhydrating because the goal is to not get dehydrated and make sure that our muscles are happy and it also and good. it also minimizes the chance of injury. Yeah. Uh, staying hydrated, good. Dr- drink water, everyone. Drink so, water, have something with electrolytes. Yeah, it's good. A little bit of salt, it's good. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, you're 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 right. You know, when we're working out in the, in a gym setting, it's more likely to happen than it would in a performance setting. Oh yeah. So 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 particularly by like the second half of our gyms, because I won't have been super hydrating before the gym, but like when we have started all the way through, I'm just drinking water the whole time. Same. So there's a lot of tricks where you end up loading the weight of the flyer's body into either the base's feet or the base's hands. Mm -hmm. And so that creates a fairly small amount of space for that weight to be distributed on. And there are only so many regions on the body that you can do that. And one of the safest is going to be at the hips and on the midsection where it's Abby. Uh, you don't want to be... Abby? Where it's Abby, where, where you're dealing with your abdominal muscles and you're not dealing... The technical, in... term, you're gonna, the technical term you're going to go with is Abby? Yes. Okay. When you're dealing with the uh, abdominals and the, and the, the, the lower core, because you don't want to put that weight um, into somewhere where you've got your ribs, for example. Um, that won't feel good. And... You kind of can't, asterisks on can't, because anything is theoretically possible, uh, do that as well on, like, the extremities, on the legs, or on the arms, um, without a lot of additional work. So We're squeezing the middle bits, and the middle bits anything in there is coming out. Lot. You're a human tube of toothpaste, and So I am suffer. running the bathroom all the time from the second half of gym, because that because while that particular story didn't involve me you never we, wanted to I don't want there to be a repeat no. that does Thank and you. I'm fairly aware that you know it's very it's very easy for that to be the case now, here's the thing I would rather someone have that happen I don't want it to happen to anyone I'd rather them I'd rather them fart or whatever mm-hmm. than be uncomfortable at the end of the day but also bodies cramp up if you don't let them do their thing. Take care of your body. Let your body do what it needs to do. I think that's important. And I, I am, I'm actually pretty easily grossed out. I'm actually a person, I, I pretty easily get grossed out. But again, when the focus is somewhere else, just let the focus be there. So the answer to the question is, how did I handle it like that? What was the story? A dumb thing happened that was very educational for everyone involved and was not made too traumatic. And um, 
People are always listening, so I'm probably never going to talk about pee or farts at the gym again. I'm just going to do them quietly. Uh, when we can. One of the things I've noticed is that a lot of acrobats and um, people who do work on uh, uh, on apparatus, you'll notice their their performances use very loud music. Percussion. Lots of percussion. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Well, I can't really ask you this question because this is a one story. No, thankfully, so suppose... thankfully, it's only one story. So, so I chimed in where I could, but uh, we'll you have to great. move on to the next question. I Any suppose. other thoughts on bodily embarrassment, or shall we move on? I think I think we've covered it. All right. Well, then I will move us to the next question. Oh, this is a good one. Who are your clown heroes? Other clowns you look up to? When you say my name, say it slowly so we can make sure everyone hears it. <laughs> um. You know, I kind of struggle with this question because while... It begins with an R. Just just say it. Wow. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm um, kidding. I mean, I think I think it's safe to say any, any clown that I've studied with. So sure. you are on that list. Why, thank you. It's about time you um, said it. But I... What's the problem? I don't love the term heroes. Sure. And part of what I don't love about the term heroes is that while while there is a relative safety to taking um, you know clowns from from film and from media that are are from a long time ago and have either retired or have not that I know that many clowns that retire ever. They never retire. The best part about this job is that you can do it when you're old. Um, but if they have, and uh, or if they've passed on, is that at that point, yeah, you can you can put them up on a pedestal and enjoy their work and dissect their work and and steal from their work. Um, but I think I think you run into a problem. When you when you put people who are still doing the work up on a pedestal like that, um, I mean, yes, we've talked about the fact that there's several clowns that have impacted my awareness of what's funny and how to things that I might want to do as a clown sure. and things that, that impact how how I see it. But this is, it's, it's really a small community and most of everybody who you're going to take classes from, who you're going to, like the same people who you're likely to take classes from eventually are likely to be your peers and you're likely to be if you're not working alongside them it's it's like they were at this theater last week i mean like that's so is it about competition i think there's an element of that i don't like to think about that sure because sure. i because i don't i don't like thinking about it competitively because at the end of the day how everyone does this is different and so while 
I may be the clown that one particular person wants to hire. Uh, somebody else may be the clown that somebody else wants to hire. And it doesn't matter. Like, there's nothing I can do about that. And there's nothing they can do about that. Even weirder still, with both the techniques, the tropes, and some of the material, we may all do a certain gag. And same. it will be different. We'll all do it our own way. But yeah, if, if the... If the show says I need someone to get up there and do something with a hat, mm-hmm. well, I hat juggle one way, someone else juggle, yeah, another, 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 um, which I think is hilarious because I have been, I have had a clown in a show of mine who was performing in my show who taught me a hat trick while we were backstage, which I later realized he had learned from watching another clown. Yeah. So, so since it's such a tight. I don't want to say it's a tight-knit community because we all talk to each other, but we also don't all, like, this is not like we're all best friends. No. But but when you're backstage, sometimes you sort of are, like, just for the time that you're all backstage together. Well, you're in Because you're in in a thing together. Yeah, you're in something. So, and, and I think that it's, I think that when you've taken... When you're aware that somebody exists and you've watched their work and you think that they're amazing and you put them on this high pedestal, if you're in a situation, if you, when you find yourself in the situation where now you're both in the same place for whatever reason, because that will happen, it's a small world, now you're tongue-tied and nervous and like messed up about meeting this person and they're I don't want to say they're just a person because every human being is awesome and they are a person who has a lot of skill and who you look up to and who you might want to learn something from but you're not going to learn anything from them when you get to meet them if you can't function because you've turned them into this giant hero I think one of the one of the things that comes to mind is the idea that they're not heroes, they're people, which is it's so ironic because what we love about the clown is the fact that they're very human. Yes. And yet when we find out that they are very human in some cases, it can destroy whatever we've built in our head. Oh, because they're pro- well. Because one, they're a different human. Well, yeah, absolutely. The day to day person is not going to be the same person you saw on a stage. If someone meets the clown that I, you know, meets my clown, and then meets me, we are there, there's a lot of differences. And if yeah. you got to know me and then saw the clown, it'd be really hard to reconcile and keep those things separate for for a person watching. I think, and so it becomes it becomes confusing. I will say that I wish I had achieved your wisdom on this point not to make heroes out of people sooner because when I started I I researched and you're kind of at this stage now where you're learning about the the great the great historical clowns and watching movies and watching videos oh yeah and you're watching and you're learning but you're put yourself because you had the accident of meeting a lot of working clowns fairly early yeah Yeah. as a performer goes it, it was pretty early for you because you were coming with us and 
because of that, I think you're so lucky because you don't get mired down in that sort of reverence and worship that keeps you uh, from from seeing people as they are. Yeah, I think, to be honest, I think I, I started to become... I started processing this idea pretty early because while while there are clowns that are incredibly famous, and there are, um, you, you don't necessarily expect to become incredibly famous or expect to run into somebody who is like really well known by like as a as a completely household name you don't expect to necessarily do that when you become a clown you um but when you're thinking that you're gonna do music which is what i thought i was gonna do when i was younger um when as you try to convince yourself that you can succeed at that, which you have to find a way to do in order to succeed at that, um, I think that's one of the things that you try to process through. Because now you're thinking about the possibility that you might meet somebody who is a household name if you get lucky enough to be able to go to the same recording studio or you get lucky enough to get to do, you know, X, Y, Z. I didn't, to be clear. I'm not claiming that I ever got to that point. But I think I started really thinking about how much I needed to enjoy people's work, learn from what people did, like what I liked, not like what I didn't like, but not put people on this pedestal that made me never able to talk to them really early because I was thinking about dealing with that I think it's I think it was a good lesson for you because like I was saying one of the one of the tough bits is that you know I was watching these legends and then found out that some of them are you always say living legend and then finding out that they're people and you know they're they're human and maybe they're having a good day maybe they're having a bad day or maybe they're saying something off the cuff to you. It's it really becomes difficult to process that and and still, and not have your heroes demolished, not have your idealism go a little cynical, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I mean, we're talking about a very small world. The only the only way to get smaller would be to, like name three famous jugglers. That's the only thing smaller than clowns. <laughs> is jugglers don't get any respect for all the hard work they put in. They don't. And and so I have you know a lot of respect for that. So I think I think you've got the right ideas to like meet them as people if you can, and that's that's a tough thing to wrangle with, especially when when you when just like in the music world you're you're in the same town, you're in the same world, you're in the same tent in some cases. Yeah. Finding yourself in a show with another another performer who's doing the sorts of things you do, who's a big name, is a weird feeling, and not just because you're having imposter syndrome, but because I've heard of that from I've heard of that thing from the TV is a scary sentence. Yeah. Even though they're just that person. Anyway. Uh, but who yeah. are your clown heroes or other clowns you look up to? I think we've we've talked about it a lot at this point. Well, let me let me think about this because I did do a lot of research, and one of the things I was thinking about, I mentioned the idea of like I met a clown who taught me a trick, and I later found out that trick came from somewhere else and somewhere else. Um, one of the people that a lot of people went back to, and I always, I always quote Chaplin and stuff because it's this iconic thing that I'm very drawn to, but this other person 
a lot of clowns, I won't say steal from, but they they, they absorbed. Yes. Uh, George Carl. George Carl was an acrobat and physical comedian. And I, I say clown, but definitely not clown in the honk, honk nose. I said that to make you mad because I know how you feel about honking noses. You, your eyebrow twitched. <laughs> But, but I had the expected response, yes. But I, I definitely, I definitely think George Carl is someone to look at for precision physicality and ridiculous comedy and everyman sensibility and physic and physical impossibility all rolled into one. And I think it's someone really to to look at. So that was something that really stuck with me. And then I later found out that I had like at least two people that I had put on the hero shelf took from that person that actually really demolished me because then I realized there was this lineage going back very far that clearly what I couldn't see was who George Carl ripped off. Yes. And I couldn't see that. But at the time I just, I go, the world is made of lies and, you know, and moved on. So George Carl was one. Another one I was, I was, I got to go to the London mime festival. And while I was there, there was a show by a clown called Leandre, who apparently started as a street performer. And I say apparently because I don't know much about Leandre. And this will be something I will not look up. And I'll explain why in a moment. Leandre did this show called Nothing to Say. And in very few moments, I walked in, I sat down. He owned the audience. We loved him. He did every, every nuanced bit from these beautiful poetic moments to, to making weird pee jokes. We've come full circle. Uh, you know, to dangerous physical stunts, to, to little delicate things, all in silence and big whimsical things, so many things. And then it was over in a flash. And I took a deep breath and I got up and I walked out of the theater because I knew I had a chance of meeting him. And I didn't want it ruined for me because it was so good and I felt so connected to this idea that I knew that whatever reality was behind it was going to ruin it. And I, I literally ran out of a theater. Like, as a business decision, that is stupid. Chance to connect with other people in the industry, all these people standing around and know each other. I ran from the theater. Um, and to this day, never, never looked this person up because I'm like, something felt good. So what I'm hearing here is that we will we will include a link to whatever we can find. Nope. But I'm the one who's going to have to find it nope. to put the link there. Nope. You're not going to put a link in. No, I'm not going to because something should... You know what? I've given you all the clues you need. Leandre, London Mime Festival, nothing to say. Okay. If you want to look it up, you look... This one you get to look up on your own. And here's why. It's not because I'm trying to create some puzzle for people. There's no great reveal or secret. I specifically saw something that moved me, and I didn't want to dissect it. And it's very rare that you see something iconically that you don't want to take it apart. And, like, I could tell as a person sitting in the audience, oh, that was years of street performance, and that was theatrical work, and that was this. I mean, I, yes, I could do that, but the whole was so good. I just wanted to let it be. And so it's the only time I've ever not dissected something. I ran in a fit of pique okay. from this option. Okay, yeah. And then, and I'm going to make one more, and then I'm going to make a point about all of them. Okay. Um, I had an opportunity very shortly before he passed, a handful of years ago, um, Papa Kampa from the Kampa Family Circus. He's a musical clown, um, absolutely 
fantastic, larger-than-life performer. I've seen Papa Campa. Yeah. He was wonderful. It's an amazing, amazing performer. So the whole, the whole circus, their, their whole family troupe is great. There's several generations of circus performers. Anyhow, the, um, I saw him do his thing in a smaller show. Not a big tent show, a smaller show. And he does this thing where he has coins that make noises, and it's this whole, it's whole thing he did. And at the end of it, somebody has collected all these coins up. And they've got the scrim. The show's over. Everyone's applauded and gone home, and the scrim comes down. So you can kind of still see the gauzy view of the stage. And you see waddling, fat, happy, musical Papa Kampa come tottering across the stage to the other wing, and he holds out his hand, and someone individually places all the coins in. The show's over. It's done. The lights have come up. I happened to be in the theater because I was moving slow getting out of the chair that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and he took the coins, and he bowed his head, and he turned on his heel, and he dropped them in his pocket with one sound, and he walked across the stage, and he never looked at us. Because it was a ritual that clearly was entirely for him. I have no idea if it was an accident. I have no idea if it's what he does every show or did every show. What I know is that in that moment, there was this piece of poetry happening before me that was amazing. And there was no way I could unpack it because it was just this little poetic visual moment that was not intended to be seen. And it gave an intimacy to the connection I had already had by being an audience to this performer that I treasure. And what I realize about these three examples I've given, and go ahead and add Chaplin back into the mix, there are three heroes I can never meet. One, two, three because they're dead, and one because I'm going to avoid until he's dead. Not, not because I don't like him, but because I love him a little bit. And so I think one of the things is that as much as we say, don't have your heroes, and as much as we, you know, as much as we say, treat people as people, the, I, the clowns, the, the personas of the clowns, the clowns get the performances. If you happen to catch one in an elevated place, just let it be. It's okay not to know how the magic trick is done if it really made you feel something. And I think it's important because the minute you tear it to pieces and know you stop caring about it and move on to the next thing because that's how our brains work. So this is one of those like mysteries I intentionally hold on to in my like my little strategic reserve of stuff I don't know and do not want to resolve. So that is the closest I can get to heroes is like I don't know them so good so they can't fail me. There you go. That is my answer. Alright. Well then the next question. Already. Well, I think that that's that's where we are. Yeah, where, where we, we are. Where, where we are. Where we are. are. <laughs> you okay? I'm fine. Look at me. How many fingers am I holding up? None. You're currently holding my shoulders. Good. Yes. You even did the thing so everybody knew. I looked at everyone. Yes. Hello. It was really nice. They feel really connected to you right now. As long as they don't get to know you too well, they're going to love you. It's perfect. All right. So, the next question is, are there any acro gags that'll work in a confined space? Huh. I look up at the ceiling and start doing math. So we are currently, as we have long since established, uh, stand or sit on the floor of a closet that the ceiling is a bit low. The walls are very confined. There's stuff everywhere. 
and it's very it's a very small space. There's maybe a two foot, two foot on the floor, and then we go up from there. We're sort of piled in the corner. And I wrote something. We just cleaned with a drawing board that we use for keeping our notes on. I just I just cleaned off a bunch of notes, and I wrote one down that stuck with me. That's totally about this. And it said, when you are learning something new, you need a lot of space to make mistakes. And once you are getting to the point where you are doing it, then you can do it in a very granular way. But you need the room to fail so you can learn to do precisely. Oh, I think that's definitely true. And I, I loved this idea, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently, so this works for me. I know, you know, logistically, we can get into any trick we can fit through the door and waddle our way in here. And at the start of our acrobatic explorations, we were jokingly, not so jokingly, told by some acrobats, get rid of your stepladder, you don't need one anymore, and that's how you start. Because you just climb on each other when you need to do something taller than arm length. You don't get a chair anymore. Yeah, we did this, and now anytime we okay, we didn't do this actually. It's exactly the thing. We didn't. We we still have a stepladder. I didn't realize it was relationship advice. That anytime the stepladder comes out, somebody else gives this 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 just accusatory glare. Oh, oh yeah, every time. And it's and honestly, if we're both free, we will do an acrobatic. Well, yeah. Something to get to whatever high shelf we're we're trying to get at. But if we're being kind to the other person who's currently in the middle of something and we pull out the stepladder, there is just that glare from the other side of the room. How dare you? I'm so hurt. And then we move on with whatever it is we're doing because... But to answer answer the question... um... You know, and we did things like when we were working at the, at the residency, they would ask us to hang rigging from the ceiling, and so I would pop you on top of me. And oh, yeah, you'd we're hook, tall. Yeah, we're tall, and we don't take up a lot of space, so and you don't wreck the mats because you're, you're not a ladder. Exactly. That's, that's what we were for. <laughs> um, so I think, I think you can do a lot of things like that, and taking it further, and then you have to think about the space you're in. There are walls. I don't know how structural these walls are, but I think about walls, and I remember the very first narrative theater project I worked on. We, you know, a lot of circuses, variety, and uh, maybe it's a bunch of acts that all have a theme, but they're they're sort of not a plot. We decided to do a, a story, an actual end to end. We were going to write a show that was a, has a plot. And this show was set in an office space, and it was called Almost Five. And one of the things that was about it is it was in a theater that was very small. Uh, it was called the Bathhouse Cultural Center, which is a really lovely theater I've spent years working at. And the, uh, the thing about it is the ceiling height is really low in the theater on stage. Outside the stage, you got massive height. But, but on, yeah. on the, uh, you put your foot on the stage... It's nine foot six or nine foot eight to the lighting grid. It's ridiculously small. And when they put a light on you, it just feels like you're being cooked. Um, and additionally, there's this sort of fur down because the building was a historic boathouse. Yeah. Um, so there's this concrete fur down in the front of the stage. And it makes a beautiful, for, for a show in a black box theater, it's this beautiful, intimate show. And you have this beautiful black frame, but it's a concrete frame that cuts another foot off that height. So you have no height. 
and you have no, you have very little room. Now, as a performer, I love this because I am literally just arms reach away from my audience. I feel very connected to them. They're very connected to me. As long as I use mouthwash and deodorant, everyone's very happy. When we were developing the show, and I can't, I can't take any credit for this. When we were developing the show, the two acrobats in the show, um, they had a fight scene. And it, was a, it wasn't stage combat. It was more like a dancey, acrobatic exploration. But it was absolutely representative of a physical altercation. It was a big moment in the show. Uh, and we were handling it with a lot of delicate care. And we kept looking at this low ceiling. And, you know, a lot of the tricks were like, how do we dodge that problem of the low ceiling? You know, a lot of floor work, a lot of this, a lot of that. And they kept coming back to it. And they said, you know, we think we can use this. And so how it played out after some exploration was one of them grabbed the other and threw them into the concrete pillar that made up the side of this thing and flipped them upright and got underneath them. And they began to cross the stage, swinging their fists in the air like they're still punching at each other. While one is balanced on the back of the other feet, you know, one said the base's feet are on the ground and the flyer's feet are pressed against on the back pressed against the ceiling and they're literally walking back to back throwing punches at the air as they cross the stage no more than what two three feet from the audience oh very very close to the audience yeah it was it was insane and it was one of those things where the compressed space because we you rather than letting it be a limitation we let it be a creative constraint it created this really interesting visual moment that was beautiful it was breathtaking i was i had started doing some things with the circus freaks by that point but i wasn't part of the main team and i wasn't part of the rehearsals for that show at all no and so the first time i got to see that was as an audience member and it was that particular move was just breathtaking full marks to them and good move and astounding because you just it just defied logic your brain said that's not possible despite the fact that it was clearly happening in front of you and so i what i was getting at was this idea that sometimes when you have these these cool constraints you can use them if you if i try to stretch my arm out and pretend i'm not going to hit the wall and then do what an actor does. You know, I stare off in the middle distance and if a cell phone rings and I, I have to pretend it didn't happen. And as a clown, if I look off into the distance and the phone rings and I turn and I look and I say, would you mind turning that thing off? I'm trying to act here. There's a very funny fourth wall break moment that is kind of the purview of the clown. Yeah. And I think when you engage with the physical reality of a space, big or small, and you find some way to really put it in the space with the audience... It, it breathes a different kind of life into it. And I think that's part of what I love doing in improvisation. And it, whenever we get to develop for, it's rare, and only a handful of times you get to actually develop a show for a venue. And when you do, write something like that in. Most of the time you hit the venue with your show and you take a look around and go, ooh, we're going to use that. And you adjust your show to work. And mm-hmm. it's a different, it still works, but it's a different experience than finding something organic like that in the room. So yeah. in here, yeah, I think we could probably squish against the walls or something or do something squatty and weird, but it would it would be uncomfortable. Yeah. I turn the question on you because I think I've rambled it. Are there any acro gags that'll work in a confined space? Um Cannonball. As we've as we've mentioned, yes. Um there are. 
Mm. I think one of the things that you run into with the technicality of acrobatics in particular is that the balances are so precise that something that I didn't know until we ran into it literally um, by even in the larger spaces that we were working we somehow ended up a bit closer to a wall than we expected to and sorry and so suddenly I was at the point where if I wanted to extend my arm I was going to hit the wall so I did and it was and I didn't hit it like I'm not saying I hit it hard I'm saying I recognized the wall was there and then I touched the wall and oh my gosh making contact with a with a, a solid object like that just through the balance the, the stack yeah it threw the balance completely we had to do we had to really catch it mm-hmm. um there are ways to explore with that there are ways to do something with that you but end if up you're training not, to it but if you're not expecting it like it's it really makes a difference um a lot of these things are much more are much more dynamic and delicate than they look. Yes. And I think that's that's going to play into anything you try to explore. Yeah. Um, I much of the actual risk in doing many of the acrobatic tricks we do is actually in the entry into the trick and the exit from the trick. Because there's kind of a static point, which is where we stop and we take a moment. We look at the audience and the audience claps. Um, That point is typically a little bit safer because it's when it comes to when it comes to whether or not you're going to run into the edges of your more enclosed space. So one of the things I've noticed when we do do things like need to reach the tall shelf in the very small kitchen is we will get into the trick and then step over and then step or walk to the place and then, and then come back out from the small space in order to come back down. Um, but that being said, there's also, I mean, you've mentioned at least one example of using a space that's smaller um, a lot of what I know with different, uh, different thing, but, uh, I learned how to spin Diablo in a basement in Iowa. <laughs> so I learned a lot of the low and fast tricks, which is not normal for that particular tool because well, a lot of that's this going. card says acro gags because i, I immediately thought about all the other prop stuff and physical stuff we do and how much of it would be better suited you know juggling hats would be way better suited to being in a closet full of hats than trying to climb up there and get them this is true however on the on the topic of climbing up there um i believe i have credited the book that taught me how to juggle which was the necronomicon no, who was juggling for the complete klutz. Oh, the other one. Um, and Klutz Company, which started with that book. That was their first book. Uh, but Klutz the Company had released many other books since. And there was one, and I've forgotten the title, but it had something to do with shenanigans. Because it was specifically shenanigans that kids could get up to 
that are fun for kids, and I believe the statement was tolerated by adults. So the idea That's was... That's a sales pitch that pretty much describes us. Very much. Loved by kids, tolerated by adults. And, and one of the things that I learned from that book was how to shimmy up walls in small spaces like closets oh and God. door frames. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. I kind of want to see you do it. So I don't know if I can still do it. I have not tried in Just... many years. But essentially, there's the idea that you can put press your back into one side of a closet or a doorway, and you press your feet into the other. Oh. And the key part is keeping that tension. You shimmy. And then you shimmy your way up. Like, like an assassin. And this was, yes, but this was specifically framed in the context of how to win at hide-and-seek. How did I not know you could do this? Because I'm never going to walk into a room without checking first again. <laughs> but specifically in the context of hide-and-seek, because people don't look low and people don't look high. People really don't change their view very much. They'll look at what is directly in front of them, what they can see within from that from that range, they'll look up if there is a reason to. So they pointed out that while while under the bed is a place, while under the bed is a classic, it actually is a decent place to hide if you are hiding from an adult, because nobody wants to look under the bed. And then two, up. Okay. If you can get up, go up. I have to stop you now because you realize that. As you know, many people find us calming, soothing, and relaxing during these podcasts. And you've talked about tonight farting, peeing, and dropping out of the ceiling like some sort of weird assassin spider monster. Oh, no. Don't drop. You need to shimmy your way back down. Otherwise, you'll hurt yourself. Like I said, I think now we need to just some deep cleansing breaths and you read another question. (sighs) That's good. Just again. You have, you have moved these around. No, I haven't. Oh, no, you haven't. I just can't read. Okay. There you go. See, you can't read. You're not very smart. Everything's fine. Everything's normal again. You don't have to worry. I've checked up. It's your turn to read Everything's fine. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, then I'll do that, and you will not cling to the ceiling. I'm really free. I don't know why that's so upsetting. Why does it freak you out so I much? don't know, because, like, you're going to drop down out of the ceiling. No. I'm going to hear some, yeah! No, I'm, like, stuck. Like, that is not, it is not. I think it's because I didn't you know do... you could do this. So, so to be clear, when you're up there, like, you're not dropping down. You are stuck. I think I'm unless bo- you start sliding. Yeah, this this brings then you then you come. To, it's a very awkward back down. It is not a comfortable. Unless you land on down. your prey and murder them instantly. Yes, I got it. So, other than the thing you just said, what's the strangest thing you've had to explain, either as yourself or as a clown? I think that might have been it. But I think I'm, yeah, you may have just landed. I think that might have been it. Right, right now, just there. Well, then what's a, well, what about the second half? As a clown? Yeah. You got anything there? Uh, things that my clown has explained. I'm confident there are several. Mostly because Jane has no tolerance for the fact that people don't understand things and so will will inform them about things quite a bit. You're a pedant. Yes. Um... 
One of those flags that waves in the air. Uh. Wait, that's pennant. Yeah, that's a pennant. Mm. Um, but there was a particular explanation that was very formative for Jane, I think. Do tell. Actually, I don't know if it's formative, but it was very, very... Evocative. Very evocative. It was a thing. Um, it might have been a. It might have been its own sort of life content warning. Kind of, yes. Um, if you let this in the room, this is the kind of crap you're going to get. Yeah. Uh, so there is a there is an exercise that we sometimes bring to the lab called the expert, and the premise of it is that you are going to come to the stage and you are going to give a talk about this thing that you are a subject matter expert on. It is worth pointing out that you don't get any time to prepare. In fact, the, the question is is on a folded up piece of paper on stage waiting for you. That, that was what I was about to say. Yeah. So, so the, that's it's the intense. premise. It's the intense. premise is then you, then you walk out onto the stage, you draw the question out of a hat, and you now have to be a subject matter expert on answering that question. And you don't know what it's going to be until you get there. Uh, and you're not allowed to lie and you're not allowed to make things up. You just have to be honest and answer it. But you also can't admit that you don't know anything about the topic if you don't know anything about the topic. So it's a, it's a real challenge. And the first time I brought Jane in costume, full dress, ready to, to, to explore to a workshop, we were running this exercise. So Jane did this exercise and Jane walked out and drew the question, how do you make the best breakfast? And honestly, at this point, I don't remember a lot of what she said. Um, it was a 10-minute TED Talk outlining the answer to this question with emphatic truths. I do remember that the key element, like the, the, the immediate impulse statement. The nugget. The nugget. Uh, was that you... You come up with what it is you like to eat and make that and eat it. And that was her opinion. And she went on to defend it. She went on to explain more about it. And I don't remember any of that. I know what happened. And then I got off stage and I was kind of a bit shaken up about this. Because while I don't mind what anybody else chooses to eat or not eat, for me, when I wake up and I'm having my first meal of the day, when I break my fast, it has to be food in the category breakfast food. Like, Or your day is ruined. Yeah, I do not like 
a situation where I have overslept, everyone's having lunch, and I'm supposed to eat whatever is now lunch. Not my thing. I have seen you eat a piece of toast and then have lunch just to break the curse. Yeah. This is like a thing you're weird about. It's a thing I'm we weird about. We were all, there were 17 of us in this room who knew you pretty well, and we were all standing there jaw hanging open at this nonsense you spewed at us because we didn't know where it came from. Because that's not the, like, that's not my truth. No. It was somebody else's. It is something I do feel for other people. Like, yeah, eat whatever you like. But, like, oh, that is not my truth. My <laughs> truth is breakfast food needs to be category breakfast food. Granted, category breakfast food includes leftover pizza from the fridge. Like, there are a few things that are strange in that category for me. But, like, they have to be in that category for me or that I have a bad time. So hearing Jane explain in such detail the level to which like she went on a rant about the arbitrary delineations between food concepts because food is food and like there is no such thing as like I think I said the words the words came out of my mouth there's no such thing as breakfast food and i'm like that is the furthest from my reality that one can that i can have on this topic like that is straight opposite of my opinions for myself so that was bizarre it was pretty strange one might say yes one might say it was it was extremely strange it, it's funny when when you see when the clown comes in the room with an opinion, you you will immediately know whether or not the performer is lying as a character or whether or not you're seeing something honest happen. And there was a room full of people that were like, "That was a real thing." And the, anyone in there who didn't know you well enough to know this particularly weird detail about you just assumed it was truth. Yeah, I just mean, assumed it was, that that's what I that's what I meant because but it was what Jane meant. It was very funny. It was very funny, and it was honestly, it was the day that I took a deep breath and went, wow, Jane is going to be a real problem in every workshop and every performance. And that is proven to be completely true. It is true. It's great, because you want you want that. And what I said at the time, I remember this, I said at the time, you want, um, you in an ensemble of supportive performers, you want that pushy person. Because they're fun yes. when everybody loves each other, but you have somebody who's pushy, you get to have a lot of fun with that with that ensemble. If everyone's just over-agreeable, nothing no ever happens. There's no conflict. Nothing yeah. ever happens. So for, and that's talking about theater, not about people. We're talking about characters, not reality. We want yeah. to work yeah. together. Okay. So there you go. Good yep. answer. All right. What's the strangest thing you've had to explain, either as yourself or as a clown? Or both? If you'd like. I'll take a shot at both. All right. I'll take a shot at both. Let's see. As me. Because I'm sitting here. These are my pants. Yes. I'm near somebody else's pants, but I'm in my pants. So, um, when I am not wearing those pants, uh, but I'm wearing these pants, and I am not training, and things are a little more normal, uh, I do a lot of teaching, as we've, we've sort of established. Mm-hmm. Teacher of ars du uh, being an idiot. Ars du idiot. The arts of idiot. I like it. Ooh, sounds so fancy. So every time you've said arts just then, because of the accent that you seem to have applied to it, I did not hear the word arts. 
I was hoping I could sneak it through. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Where was I? Oh, yeah, so I teach. Um, and what I find most fascinating, and, and the way people's brains work it lights me up. I love it. The way people interact, I, I just dig it. But the thing that I always find baffling is having to teach full-grown adults, in many cases, wise, learned adults, how to play catch. Like, and I don't mean like sport. I don't mean like game of sports ball. I mean like I have a ball, I throw it to you, get very excited about that and throw it to someone else. Now, there's a deeper philosophical lesson that's embedded in that and everything else. But at the end of the day, I am literally brought in as an expert in playing catch with a red rubber ball. Yes. That's a little strange to me on the meta. Yes. And so I think it's, it has always struck me as a little odd. Now, I understand that we are in a culture that there is a deficit and dearth of actual play. I don't mean games of synthetic of achievement. I mean actual play. play for its own sake. And that that skill atrophies without use. I understand that. And yet some part of my brain just thinks it's really weird that I have to remind people to play catch without a goal. Yeah. So that's very strange to me. So that's to me. Um, as a clown, because I said I would, hmm. you know, and this is not schadenfreude in play, but whenever the clown has a really good show, yes. as a performer, as a person, that clown has probably had a really bad day. <laughs> If you think about it, like if you step back and you think about what's happened to them. Uh, I walked on the stage. I got rampaged by the audience. They took my balloon. I walked up on the stage. My pants fell off. And I had to run. I tried to leave, but somebody threw a big heavy wood thing at me. And then a bunch of people kicked me. Then somebody walked on me. Then I left. I found some pants and I got my heart broken. So then I left. And I came back. And someone in the audience shot me with an imaginary gun, and so I had to die, and then people jumped all over me. Then I stood up, and everybody made a lot of noise. I've just described the actual experience of being the person who survived one of the best shows I've ever performed in. Yep. I'm leaving out a lot of costume changes and specifics of performances. But if you take the meta of the clown's experience, they're having a terrible day, and they're just like, I just... I just don't know what happened. And I think it's it's really funny because no one's poking fun. No one's going, ha ha, you're bad. They're, they're enjoying the fact that they overcame those things. They're enjoying having watched the journey. But there's always this part of me that has this meta knowledge that, wow, this clown, this clown's going to need a hug when all this is over. It's been a tough day. They're going to want to rest. But had your clown ever explained that? Yes, and that's the problem. Oh, no. You see, because someone said... Your show was great to me after a show, and I hadn't... You remember I said I always keep a snack backstage? This is before... I hadn't gotten to the snack. Mm. And so somebody said, your show was great. You had such a great time. I said, no, I had a terrible time. And I told them all of that. And they looked at me like I was insane. Uh, Fair. That's what they said as they walked backwards. And I, I realized at that point, my blood sugar was probably in a place that needed some correction. I stepped back and I sorted that out. But it's it's really a weird, it's a really weird experience because the clown's experience of the events, if they're living it in the moment, 
are intense. Oh, yeah. And they're bizarre. Yes. Um, if you think about the things that have happened to them, not as trickery that we as performers have created, but experiences that they are having, they've been through some stuff. Yes. A ghost gave my clown a hat and said it was okay for them to wear it. You know, it's there's weird stuff that happens. Yes. <laughs> It's just like there's stuff. I think about the like perform. That's like a particular performance. Um, but I think about all this stuff that happens. Very bizarre for them. So yeah, that's that's it. That's my answer. All right. All right. Whose question? Your question. I believe it's my question. Okay. Oh, it looks like this is the final question. Final question. Well, we good. have today. Final. We've been we've been doing well, breezing through. I feel like we've told some good stories. You've been attentive and listening the entire time, even when we talked about pee, existential crisis, ninja drops from the ceiling. I'm very proud of you if you've made it this far. I second to that. What's the question? The question is, how many clowns can you fit in that closet? Two seems like you're not really trying. This is about the clown car thing. This is definitely the clown car thing. The clown car doesn't have anything in it. They take the seats out, and then the people that are put in there, they might as well be dating by the time they're done because they're intimately close with each other. There's a lot of sweat on sweat. Yeah, like cordwood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a thing you want. But the truth, if we're perfectly honest, there are a lot of clowns in here right now. Oh, well, that's true. That's true. Like, for example, I'm one clown in a closet. And I am. A second clown in a closet. And um, I'm, I'm a third clown in a closet. And I'm a fourth clown in a closet. Yeah, right here. I'm a, I'm a, how many clowns? I'm a fifth clown in a closet. Yeah, that's it. Huh? I'm a sixth clown in a closet. Um, uh, yeah. I'm, um, one of many clowns in this closet. I'm the eighth clown in this closet. I'm the tenth clown in the closet. I am the eleventh clown in this closet. Practically a dozen. I'm out of funny voices, so I guess we could fall just short of a dozen clowns in this closet. I was so excited what you might have brought. That was good. That was good. That was fun. That was was a fun little impromptu exercise. There we go. Well, you're done. Always make silly voices. Um, Drink extra water. Remember to run to the bathroom before you turn upside down. And we'll see you next time right here on... Two Clowns in a Closet. Just just the two, though, because it's a small room. Yes. All right. Ready? Ready.